Just by way of background, very brief background to this, in 586 BC, Nebuchadnezzar, who was king of Babylon, went to Jerusalem with his army, and they took over the city of Jerusalem. They destroyed the walls, they destroyed the gates, they destroyed the temple, and they took away from Jerusalem uh, Jews who had been living there. And they were taken about 800 miles to Babylon. And that was referred to as the exile. And they were then living in Babylon. The Persians then took over from the Babylonians, and they had a different approach to life. They felt that it was right that those people who had been exiled would be allowed to return. And over a period of 100 years, they gradually returned to Jerusalem. And we come to this point in time uh, where we're now about 140 years later, and we have this man called Nehemiah, who is born in exile. He is living in a place called Susha, which was the, where the king's palace was. The king was now Artaxerxes, and Nehemiah is given the job of cupbearer to the king. Right, so it's a very brief background as to where we are. So we're going to read chapter 1 of Nehemiah, and then think about Nehemiah from that chapter. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the twentieth year, while I was in the citadel of Susha, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant who had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you, day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the furthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. So, Nehemiah, just think of one thing about three or four things regarding anything of his characteristics. And the first one is to think about him as a trusted man. He was a man who had risen to a very responsible position. He was living in the king's palace in Shusha. He was the cupbearer to the king. We're not quite sure what that might have involved, what we can perhaps guess that it would involve maybe tasting the wine before the king drank it um, and various other roles. A very close person to the king. A very responsible position he held. 
And the king trusted him. He was a man of trust that could be trusted. And that was important because the king's father had actually been killed by one of the servants working in the palace. So he would be very aware of how people around him could actually do things to cause him harm. But Nehemiah was prepared to serve him and serve God. And I think you know, when we think about people, he was 800 miles away from where, although he wasn't born in Jerusalem, where his people were from. And he was working in a, a foreign place. But what he did was he did his job to the best of his ability. He did it well. He was respected and trusted. I just want to mention that in, in relation to our own situations. Because some of us work, some of us worked for 200 years and now retired, and some of us are like Noah who just sits around all day. But everyone has a role to play. We all have a, but wherever we are, wherever we're placed, we have a responsibility to do our work in a way that pleases God. That is so important. I can remember when I was working, it was so easy to get caught up in gossip, wasn't it? And, and talking about things and getting drawn into situations where I shouldn't have been involved. And to be able to step aside from those and to be different, not to not have any friends, but to be able to be seen as someone who is trusted, who can be trusted and following God. So that was important for Nehemiah. It's important for us also. Wherever we're placed, sometimes we can moan about the job we're in there. I wish I could be in a different job. I wish I could be in a different house or whatever it, was, it might be. But God has placed us there and we should faithfully serve him where we are at this time. We see that God uses people in different situations. He uses Nehemiah. He raised them to quite a responsible position. Remember, Joseph was also raised in Egypt to a responsible position. Um, and Daniel as well. And often God will do that. When we're faithful to him, he'll raise us to a position of responsibility. So Nehemiah was a trusted man, and we should be trusted men and women uh, in, the, in the position that we find ourselves he was also a caring man. In verse 2, he finds his brother comes along. And the first thing he does, he, he wants to ask him, what's happening to those people who are back in Jerusalem? He's concerned about them. He wants to know more about what is happening. And he finds that, sadly, those people are in disgrace. They're not going through a good time. It's a bad period of time for them. He hears this news, and it, it concerns him, upsets him. It says that he immediately wept and started to fast for several days. He was concerned for those people. He had a care for them. And he heard that the city was without walls. Now, in those days, cities without walls were open to the enemy attacking. The walls were very important. Most, all, the, all the cities in that time would have a, a wall around them. We don't have that nowadays, but in those days, that would be the case. And if the wall wasn't there, then the enemy could come in quite easily, take what they wanted, and change the situation in that city. And that was what was happening. It's so sad for them. But there's a spiritual element to that today, that the walls of this, our city around us can sometimes fall down, can sometimes be removed and allow the enemy to come in. And it causes us problems. It can be concerns within churches. We hear of churches in this country where they are very liberal. We hear of fractured evangelism. We hear of falling numbers. We hear of 
teaching coming into churches which is not right. All these things are happening. I read the other day that there are more people worshipping Islam than there are going to the Church of England. Now I know that there are a lot more churches than the Church of England, but just in itself, in this country, to understand that that's happening is quite a change from what it would mean a few years ago. And the local church itself, the, the cares and needs of those people within the church. Do we have a burden for these people? When we think of the churches around this country, many of those people going to those churches are our brothers and sisters. Right? Many of us know people who go to other churches. They are our brothers and sisters. And are they going through a time of difficulty? Have they allowed the walls to fall down? Is Satan getting in and causing problems in those situations? And I think the challenge here is, are we like Nehemiah? Have we got to care for these people? Are we concerned? Are we burdened for them? Or do we perhaps, I'm not joking here, do we think, well, it's their own fault? That's where they go, it's their own fault. I believe we should be concerned. We should have a care for them. And we should think, what does God want us to do in this situation to help our brothers and sisters who are found in these situations? The cities need to be rebuilt. He was a caring man. He was also a praying man. It tells us that the prayer that he prayed from verse 7. He knew to depend on God in everything he did. He had learned to do that throughout his life. He empathized with those people that he was thinking of back in Jerusalem. Empathy is a great thing, isn't it? It's being able to put ourselves in someone else's situation and understand what they're going through. And for us to then relate to that, whatever it is they're going through. Empathy he had for them. And he prays for them. Now, when we're reading this, if we go to chapter 2, there's a, he gets to the point where he talks to the king, and there's a, he's in the king's presence, and the king asks him a question, and he has this short prayer he asks for help. We call it an arrow prayer, right? It's referred to as an arrow prayer. It's a quick prayer, and we get a response. Now, that would be great if we just go through life and say, but yeah, situation arises, quick prayer. What we forget is there are four months between this we read just now and the conversation with the king. And in those four months, Nehemiah is praying. He's weeping. He's fasting. He is spending time with God. And it's because of that he's now learned to know who God is. He has a relationship with God. So when he's faced with the king, it's quite easy for him to talk to God in that very simple way, for God to speak to him. And so important is this for us to, to learn how to pray and to pray to God. And the beginning of this prayer, he praises God for who he is. And we have much to thank God for. He calls him an awesome God. Can I just say the word awesome is so misused today. Young people use it for a nice meal or a nice film. Oh, that was awesome. Awesome is something beyond our imagination. It's God. God is awesome. Try not to use the word awesome anywhere else, okay? Try to use it just for God. He is awesome. He is awesome because he is powerful. He 
is faithful to his promises. He never lets anyone down. He's never let the Israelites down. He promised them he'd make covenants with them and he kept to those covenants, never let them down. He's a great God. He has made a covenant with us through the Lord Jesus Christ by the blood on the cross and that covenant can never be broken. We have a wonderful God who has taken us out of the pit and that is a must wonderful thing for him to do is to take us from that situation we're in and bring us into his very presence. I think about this morning that we're in the Holy of Holies because of what the Lord Jesus has done. That is a God who is wonderful. That is a God who's done marvelous things for us. And we give him thanks for that. Nehemiah was re refers in his book several times to my God he talks about. My God. He has that close personal relationship with him and he understands what his God has done for him. And each of us understand what God has done for us. We can call him my God. And we can give him praise and thanks for all that he has done. Because he's a great and an awesome and a mighty God. And that's how we start our prayers. And that's how Nehemiah started his prayer. But then he comes on to um, perhaps a serious subject, confessing sin. And you might say, well, I don't need to confess sin because the blood of Christ on the cross dealt with my sin once and for all, it's gone it's dealt with, I don't need to think about it, and in one sense that's absolutely right, we stand holy before God but every one of us I hope, still does things wrong, I say, I say that in a way, what I mean is I hope nobody thinks we're perfect we go through life and we get things wrong once we've trusted in the Lord we still get things wrong if you think about the prodigal son you know some of our things we get wrong are, are very blatant they're obvious anybody can see it we know it ourselves the youngest uh, son in the prodigal son parable he went to remember he took his money he went off to a different country he spent his money he did all sorts of things you should never have done he ended up in the pits and he was feeling miserable and he knew quite obviously he had done things wrong they were blatant sins his brother stayed at home. His brother carried on working for his father. It's a bit like me saying, I've come to the church for 30 years now. I've never missed a Sunday. Never missed a Sunday. Apart from one, I broke both my legs. I couldn't make it. But I still watch on Zoom. Every week I'm coming to church. I'm always there. I've got the right to say to somebody, you're doing that wrong. I've got the right to look down on somebody saying, you're not right. No, I haven't. I haven't got any right at all. You know the sin of this brother was pride. He was full of himself. He thought, I'm doing okay. And we can fall into that trap as well. Because we're regular attenders, because we say the right words, we do the right things, we wear the right clothes, we have a right to then look at someone else and say, you're not right. You're not doing it right. And that's a sin as well. So there are sins which are obvious and other sins which are less obvious they're often more to do with an attitude of mind rather than something which is uh, visible but the father's response to both those brothers is amazing because when the young one comes back he doesn't say to him where have you been the last three or four years where have you been what have you been doing with your life who have you been mixing with and all that money that I gave you, where is it? He didn't say that. He didn't say, why didn't you contact me to let me know how you were doing? He says, welcome back. We're going to celebrate. 
we're going to have a party. And the older brother, who was also guilty of sin, of pride, he didn't rebuke him either. He said, you've got all these things. You've had them all this time. Enjoy them and come with me and celebrate with our brother. Our father, when we come to him in confession, is a loving God who welcomes us back, accepts us as we are, but we need to come before him and acknowledge to him there are things in our lives which are not always right. And those things can hinder us in our service for the Lord. So we just need to come regularly and confess those things to him, knowing that he is not going to do what we do to one another. Why did you do it? He's going to welcome us back with open arms and loving arms. So confession of sin is important as well. And then the third and last part of this prayer He's waiting for God. I mentioned earlier that there were four months between this conversation and the one with the king. And during that time, he's waiting on God. In verse 10, it says, he's saying to God, they are your servants, your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Nehemiah is recognizing that he has a concern for people 800 miles away. He feels that there needs to be something done about that. He has a vision in a way that things of what could be done. But then he's recognizing also that the only way that this can work, if I hand it back to God and say, God, it's your work, it's your plans, they're your people, and I want you to then decide when we do it and how we do it. And what a, a nice sort of simple lesson for us, isn't it? Because we do get plans we do have plans, quite rightly. We think about how can we do best do things in the church to reach those who reach those who are lost. How can we best teach from the Word of God? And how can we do whatever it might be? And that is right. But we must always remember, it's God's work, it's God's plan, and we need to hand it to God and say, God, in your time, in your way, we're going to do these things. But we're going to wait for you. We're going to pray to you, and wait for you to show us the next step in this walk. Finally, not only was a praying man, but he was a volunteering man. He was a man who prepared to get involved. Remember Moses, when God called Moses to do a work and to lead the people of Israel? I read a book many years ago uh, about Moses, which I thought had a lovely title. It said, Here am I, send Aaron. And that's what Moses was doing. He said, I've got things in my life that are not quite right. I don't think you can really use me, but I know someone else you can use. We can do the same, can't we? God speaks to us and we think, well, someone else will do that. But God often speaks to us and says, no, I want you to do it. And Nehemiah, he knew that he was a man that had been called to do something. He had a volunteering heart. With the reduced permission, I'm going to think of continuing this on the Thursday day through Nehemiah, if that's all right. So we're going to stop there. But we can find out by coming on a Thursday night. Now, I know you're thinking it's a long way from Harrogate, but actually it's a really good bus service from Harrogate. <laughs> and John is a home that he's prepared to put people up in overnight. So there's no reason why you can't be here on a Thursday night if you really want to be. But we're going to look at that. But today it was really about just setting the scene about this man called Nehemiah who was a 
trusted man, a caring man, a praying man, and a man who is prepared to volunteer. And there's so much for us to do, whether it be locally, I mentioned earlier about our brothers and sisters involved in difficult circumstances, perhaps in other parts of the world, perhaps in churches where they're struggling. There's much we can do, we can pray, we can care for them, but some days God might ask us to volunteer for something and to actually be involved. Let's hand that to God. Let's wait for God's leading and guiding on that, but allow him to use us in his service for his name's sake. Let's pray. Our dear God and Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the examples we see in it of people who have been used by you in the past. We thank you.